The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. So let's go now to Isaiah chapter 11, and uh, let's hear God's word. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall uh, kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples... Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people. From Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel. And gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart, and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. But they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west, and together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath and strike it into seven channels. And he will lead people across in sandals. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of the people as there was for Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. This is the very word of God. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Father, this morning, we just want to pause and thank you for your word. We want to pause and thank you that you have not left us in the darkness of silence, but you have spoken and you have spoken into our present context. You are a God that hears the groanings of your people. You are a God who hears the cries for justice and mercy Your heart is for the oppressed and the poor, the fatherless and the widow. 
And, oh God, you would have your people, you would have your church to advocate for the poor, to advocate for the oppressed, to advocate for the widow, to advocate for anyone that is marginalized. You would have your church to be a refuge for the world, a refuge from the world, a, a community where love and, and equity and righteousness reigns, where peace reigns and, and flourishing reigns abundantly. But, oh God, we know that that's not the condition of your people. We know that's not the condition of your church. And so we beg this morning that you would come, Holy Spirit, that you would meet us where we are, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to embrace the realities of your heart. Oh God, may the hardened heart be broken this morning. May we stop resisting your heart for justice. May we stop resisting, oh God, your love for the poor. Oh God, may we stop resisting you as our king and your agenda for this world. But may we repent and come around your agenda, oh God. May, may there be a revival in this land for your heart, for mercy and justice and righteousness, for love and forgiveness. Oh God, would you pour out your spirit in a mighty, mighty way. Do not allow these, this season and these days to be wasted on us. But oh God, bring great change, transformation individually and therefore corporately. Father, may denominations be brought to their knees. Oh, mighty God, would you do a, a great work, and would you help us here locally as your church body at downtown? Father, help us to hear from you this morning. If we don't, what we do is in vain. Oh, God, I need you. May I be your spokesperson this morning. God, work in my heart. Don't leave me unchanged. May I be more than a spokesperson. Oh, God, may I be your vessel Shape me, forgive me, empower me, and do the same for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Isaiah 11, <laughs> if we could only have planned this, uh, this is literally the next chapter on the preaching calendar. And, and I don't think we could have chosen a better passage to, to address our present moment as a church and as a culture, and as a country. Listen to the hope and the promise of Isaiah 11.1. 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. Jesse is um, the, the father of David, King David, and, and the promise of Israel throughout the centuries, the thing that they were looking for, the reason they missed Jesus, was one to come that, that would reign on the throne of David as an everlasting reign, one who would reign and, and judge justly, who would bring mercy for the oppressed, who would free the captives, who would bring flourishing to God's people who've been oppressed and despised and dehumanized in every way possible. And, and whereas that was hope, for um, the oppressed and the poor in the church at the time and in Judah and Israel. It was also an, uh, a call to repentance 
for those who were wealthy, for those who possessed resources and were not sharing in the church of God, in the house of God, in the nation of God's people. Remember, back to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 10. We read this. This is God's word at, at the very beginning of Isaiah. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. This is God to the church, but why, friends? We must hear this. Look at verses 15 through 17. Your hands are full of blood. How are they full of blood? Wash and make yourselves clean. Take these evil deeds out of my sight. What are these evil deeds? Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Do you hear that? Don't just pray for them. Defend them. Take up the cause of the fatherless as your own cause. Plead the case of the widow as if you were pleading for yourself. You see, the message of justice and freedom for the oppressed is not some social construct, some social political construct, but it's at the very heart of biblical theology because it's at the very heart of God. And dear friends, to ignore to reject, even to manipulate away from this as the central teaching of God's Word is to declare yourself opposed to the agenda and to Christ uh, flourishing in His kingdom. This is what He's doing in the world. This is what He wants to do in His church. This is what He wants to do in your life. And friends, this is at the very heart of who we are as downtown church. The very reason... This church was planted. It grew out of a hunger and a desire to see God through the power of his gospel bring a radical community together across every line of race, every line of socioeconomic class, that we might be one family, that, that we literally might operate as, uh, as, a, as a kingdom, as a, as a unit, as a community, even be governed by God and be a, a, an own governing community under his lordship, that we might show forth justice and mercy as God has shown to us. Friends, this is the very heart of who we are at Downtown Church, and the message is clear we have a king who will reign on a high throne bringing justice and righteousness to the poor and oppressed, gathering the nations together for this cause, for the glory of God and the flourishing of his people. And we see this right here in this text. Let's look at it. Three things about this king, three things about uh, this, this root, this sprout coming out of this stump, this unlikely one um, who is king of the universe, First off, we see in this passage, this king comes to bring righteousness and justice to the oppressed and the poor. Verses 4 through 5. With righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness will be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. No longer will there be a need to protest. <laughs> no longer will there be crying for justice. It will be utilized. It will be brought to reality. And the wicked, those that oppose justice for the oppressed, those that oppose the poor, will be destroyed. 
this is the hope of the gospel. And you say, that sounds um, um, just too radical for me. That, that sounds too violent for me. Dear friends, love is violent. <laughs> uh, we, we protect those that we love. And, and our God is a jealous God. This is a time of repentance for the world. But there will come a day, one day, someday, when the opportunity for repentance is over and judgment will come upon the wicked, those that oppose the, the, the oppressed, those that are part and parcel to the oppression of um, those in, in, in the world and the poor and the widow and the fatherless and those that are not part of that agenda. You know, it's so interesting to me that this promise that the promise of this coming king is not to make us whole 30 iron tribe models. <laughs> the, the, the promise is not where many of us spend most of our attention and much of our um, um, resources and energy trying to craft our body, trying to uh, exercise and be fit and lose weight. That is not the hope of the coming king. The coming king is not coming to make us filthy rich like Warren Buffett or Bill Gates or Alice Walton. The, the coming king is not uh, coming to improve, give us game like Michael Jordan or Tiger Woods or Tom Brady. The coming king is coming to create a community of justice and equity where no longer will there be men and women who are overlooked, who are ignored, who are ostracized, but there will be love. Let's consider what Isaiah is saying. Bruce Walkie, a, a famous Hebrew scholar, um, an expert on um, linguistics and the Hebrew language, uh, looks at this word righteousness and, and wicked throughout the scriptures. And this is his conclusion. Listen to what Bruce Walkie says. When you see the word righteous... And you see the word wicked. Let me tell you what it means. The righteous person is the person who disadvantages him or herself for the community. And the wicked person is the person who sees his or her resources as just belonging to them. Friends, you go back through Scripture and you put that definition on righteousness. You put that definition on wickedness, and you've got an altogether different book. And it is a, would be a more accurate book because what the especially white evangelical church has done is made unrighteousness, made the wicked about sexual sin. We have isolated sins. Uh, it, it's about abortion. It's about homosexuality, LGBTQ. We've isolated. We've reduced. We've put it down into a little box where it, it's all nice and neat. So if we don't do these things, if we're not part of this, oh, we are the righteous. And God says, where do you get this? Where do you get this re reductionistic theology? Because if, if you read the word from beginning to end, if you're genuinely um, driven by the word, what you have to understand is that the king is, is, is certainly righteous and holy in every way. But it's a righteous and holiness that has to do with the poor. It has to do with equity. It has to do with dealing with uh, the socio-political injustices in the world, but especially in the church of Jesus Christ. That's what we see here, the Bible teaching from begin, beginning to end. So what does it mean? Does it mean, uh, th this is what I believe 
uh, God is saying because you say, oh, Richard, are you telling me I'm not going to have a perfect body? Are you telling me I'm not going to be filthy rich? Are you going to tell me I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be middle class in heaven? No, this is what I'm telling you. Here it is. God will not make us all filthy rich. He will free us from the need to be so. Do you understand that kind of freedom, dear friends? Can you even comprehend that kind of freedom where I don't need money to make me feel secure, where I don't need my resources to be my identity, where I don't need my body to be my righteousness, where I don't need my, my job or my marriage or my relationships. No, there is one uh, source of identity, and his name is Jesus. This root of Jesse, this sprout from the root of Jesse, th this one that comes from the stump, he is our identity, and he is our joy. Will we feast with him? Yes, but that is merely secondary to the glory of experiencing him in community as, as his love flows into us and our love flows into one another. Oh, dear friends, what a glorious kingdom this is. What, what's being promised by Isaiah and the other prophets is, what, is the biblical uh, concept of shalom. Uh, Neil Plattinger, a theologian, writes this in, in defining shalom. He says, The webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in equity, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets call shalom. We translate it peace, but it means a whole lot more than that. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts are faithfully and fruitfully employed all under the ark of God's love. Shalom, therefore, is the way things ought to be. Now, this shalom, this peace, um, is, is evident to us in the first several verses. We can see it. It, it just lands well, and it, it's visible to us that, that in essence, um, shalom in terms of, um, um, you know, the relationship between uh, humankind and the animal king, between animals, is the removal of violence, the removal of animosity. Um, this is what he says, verse 6, the wolf will live with the lamb. That's not happening now because the wolf wants to eat the lamb. The infant will play near the cobra's den. And the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. There's no fear. It's, we're, we're joyfully playing with one another. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. See, we marvel at that. What a glorious kingdom that will be. I, I was walking this morning, and I saw a little rabbit. And for just a, a spare second, it, it's so rare, the rabbit stopped, and we looked at each other. And I was literally at this point, and I said, little rabbit, one day, someday, I won't be thinking about eating you. <laughs> you, you will have no reason to run for me. Uh, but right now, you probably ought to run. I, I mean, do you see it? Do you see the beauty of this? And yet, let's apply it. We glory in that. We see it. It's visible. It's tangible. But what about this idea of equity? For some reason, it's not glorious to us. Uh, for some reason, the, 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 uh, the, this whole reality of, um, uh, of equity and justice and, the, and no longer anyone being poor and so forth um, is not typically um, good news or great news for those who are not poor or oppressed 
and so forth. Why? Because we refuse to see the whole reality that when we refuse to share what we have, no matter who we are, how much we have, when we refuse to share what we have, we are assaulting our neighbor. We are committing violence against them. Do you remember back in 110? Wash your hands of the blood that's on them. You're like, what are you talking about? The blood of the neighbor, uh, of, of the, you know, their brothers and sisters are upon their hands. Why? Because they are not paying fair wages. We'll see in Isaiah 58, and we've already alluded to it several times throughout this sermon series. The, the, this whole reality that, that to think that my money is for me, that I worked hard, that is committing violence against your neighbor. That's what the scriptures are saying. And so one day, someday, we will not have a violent heart. And what have we called it? We've just called it capitalism. And, and we've somehow just made it, uh, like, assume that it's, it's, it's biblical. And, and friends, I'm not saying, I'm not promoting socialism or capitalism. I'm saying this, is that anyone that thinks that the money that they have made is theirs is, is better really look at their heart and repent because I'm not sure that you're a child of God. That's what Isaiah is saying. That's, what this, that's how important it is. Listen to uh, 2 Corinthians. I think if we go to the New Testament, we can see this uh, and how this plays out a little better. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and, and uh, encouraging them to be a part of this gift, this offering to the poor in Jerusalem. And so he, he writes this. He says, I'm not commanding you. So there it is. We're not talking government uh, regulation. We're not, we're not talking you know, forced obedience in the church. He says, I'm not commanding you. But I want to test... He's doing something uh, uh, worse. <laughs> I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. He's saying, I want to test the reality of your conversion. I want to test the reality, are you a child of God? Are you a son or daughter of God? For you know, and then he goes to grace. You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Now listen to this. Listen to this beautiful equity in the kingdom of God. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you're hard-pressed. No, it's not that you might, um, you know, that, that you might go hungry so others may eat. Although that may not be a bad thing. Um, but he says this, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. And then he quotes Exodus. The, as it's written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. He's referring back to when God fed his people um, in the morning. They would wake up and like do, there would be manna on the ground. And you remember what he told them, don't get too much. Just get what you need for the day. Why? Because the Father's going to provide for you tomorrow. It's not about your effort. It's not about, in fact, if you start hoarding, then you're committing violence against your neighbor. That, that was the whole point. And then we see it in John the Baptist. 
uh, Jesus called him the most righteous person that's ever lived. And when he began to preach, as recorded in Luke chapter 3, um, uh, preach the kingdom and, and um, a baptism of repentance, um, what was the, uh, um, excuse me, um, John the Baptist understood the agenda of, of this Jesus. Listen, verses 10 through 14. And the crowds asked him, John the Baptist, what then shall we do? They received the message of repentance. So what is a life of faith? What does a life of repentance look like? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. <laughs> That's it? Well, he goes on. Uh, then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, he goes to their money, collect no more than you're authorized to do. And then soldiers, you know, and we look at that and we say, you know, oh, wow, well, that, that goes against capitalism. I mean, we're supposed to be able, you know, it's, I, I'm just uh, doing well in my business. That's all it is. Um, you know, I'm just accumulating, and yet... Um, John the Baptist says, no, that's not repentance. Uh, that's assuming. That, that is showing ingratitude. Um, it, it's assuming that what yours is yours because of you, as opposed to this whole reality that um, have you ever thought about the fact that God is the one who created you? God is the one that gave you the mind and the abilities you have. God is the one that gave you the skin pigment that you have. God is the one that put you in this historical context. God is the one that put you in the family. God is the one that allowed the bank to loan you money to start. All of these things. No, the factors are immense, and it all goes back to God, not your ingenuity alone. And he said to them, to the soldiers, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. Friends, the king of glory is about justice for the oppressed. He is about equity for, um, and justice for the poor and equity for the poor. As a lifestyle of his people in his kingdom and church. Please, Christianity in the West is so politicized that I genuinely believe that the overwhelming majority of white evangelicals can't even hear this message because all they hear is some economic system. I'm not promoting any economic system. I, I'm, I'm saying... Socialism's not enough, and capitalism is. There is sin to both, and the reality is what Christ is calling us to is to be a community of love. I'm testing the sincerity of your love. It has to do with a redeemed heart. It has to do with the nature of our salvation by faith alone, uh, grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We didn't deserve it. And therefore, we should be generous as a lifestyle, not as a hobby. Then secondly, this king will also unite the nations. I, I mean, we could use the... I think many think that downtown church is a, um, some type of social experiment... You know, I feel like at times I get from my white brothers and sisters, oh, that's, I feel like what they're telling me sometimes is, well, that's really cute what you're doing downtown. 
you know, and then I'll hear, well, that's how the church, that's how every church should be. And then right back to their own church. Uh, not that they should come here, but friends, this is the message, the very heart of the king from beginning to end is to unite the nations. It's right here. What is the hope of this passage? Listen to these verses. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and, and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart Heart, and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. Jesus refers to this in Matthew 24, 31. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from, the end, uh, from one end of heaven to the other. A kingdom of justice and equity, but also a kingdom of racial and, and socioeconomic harmony. The, the violence between the races, the violence between the, the classes will be done. And friends, it is our calling now, as the Lord taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, not just wait for heaven, on earth as it is in heaven, as it is the very heart of God, as it is the whole reality of God. We should be working toward this now. The question is, why does the church not only not reflect this biblical picture today, why does it not even embrace and many oppose it? And I'm speaking to white evangelicals in that comment because there's no mystery why there's black church. Because uh, <laughs> uh, they were, my black brothers and sisters, my black and brown brothers and sisters were not allowed in the white churches. Um, so let's just, let me just qualify that. That's why I'm speaking to white evangelicals. Uh, I read an article uh, by Jesse Curtis called Why White Evangelicals Will Not Rise to This Moment. Uh, feel free to look at it. And um, Jesse Curtis, Why White Evangelicals Won't Rise to This Moment. And here's what he said. He said, basically 10 years or so ago, white evangelicals got on the, the kind of the bandwagon of racial reconciliation. However... Um, the experiment, if you will, um, has um, somewhat failed, definitely had opposition um, in many contexts, but why? And, and he makes this conclusion, which I think is brilliant. He said, basically, white evangelicals were willing to enter relationship with uh, black and brown, uh, Latino, Asian brothers and sisters, but they were not and are not willing to carry the burden of injustice with them. And so basically, what we've done is said, we can accept you, but we're not willing to sacrifice and fight for you. That's like, that's like your child being hurt at school. That's like your child uh, being ignored by a teacher day after day in and day out, being bullied by classmates, and you saying, oh, I love you so much. But mommy, daddy, help. Oh, I love you so much. <laughs> Do you get it? See, Galatians 6.2 says, Carry one another's burdens, and in this you will fulfill the law of God. 
We can't say, oh, we accept you. We're all in the same room. We're even being led. We're, we have our African-American preachers. No. And this is why um, um, many of our black brothers and sisters simply wear out in cross-ethnic, cross-class churches. Because they see through it, they feel it. You, yeah, you'll accept me in the room, but you won't fight for, for me to be viewed in public as a human being with dignity. Friends, that's the reason it is uh, our black brothers and sisters are weary. It's the reason of the uprising right now. Finally, it, the message that, that our black brothers and sisters have been telling us for decades, for centuries, for centuries, is being realized to a degree. May it be realized in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because here's what I find. Not only do our, our, our black and brown brothers and sisters get weary and leave so often, but many of white brothers and sisters, when they really begin to understand what is being demanded of them by the gospel, leave as well because it's too much and they're not willing to, to buy in to the very agenda of Jesus, King Jesus himself. But one day, someday, friends, our Lord will stand and he will unite. And that's our third point. Point. The king will unite and bring rest. The king will accomplish all this by bringing real rest. Verse 10. I love this. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. I, I want you to hear me here. The challenge of the kingdom, of the kingdom of gen, agenda, or, or let me say this. It's so easy. If I just stopped my sermon right here and said, go be a community of equity and righteousness and be for the poor and the oppressed, and you would wear out and be exhausted, and, or you would become, you'd grow steeped in your self-righteousness, um, thinking every protest you did or um, every, you know, time that just by simply teaching in a, a, a school or so forth that, that you're fulfilling this command. Let me just tell you, you and I cannot fulfill this command, and it's not ours to fulfill. Jesus is the king, and he's fulfilling it. Jesus is the king, and he is the one who is fulfilling this, and will make sure that one day, someday, it will be so. One commentator said this, So the glorious church, which is to be described under the image of an oracle to which all nations shall resort, and which shall be filled with the visible glory of God. That's the picture of the king. The, the, Isaiah refers to Jesus as a, a signal. In that day, the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the peoples. Now think about, think about signs. When you see a sign, if I see a sign that says Sandals Resort, and I'm pulling in, what happens? My whole body would probably relax. If I saw a sign that says Carnival Cruise Ship, maybe not now with the corona, COVID, but think back four months ago. Uh, when, you, when you saw a sign that said Carnival Cruise Ship, you're, you're, you, would, you would dream about relaxation and food everywhere and people serving you. and You would think about rest. Well, do you understand that that's the picture that we should have when we think about our Savior Jesus? He is not a taskmaster. He is one that is going to accomplish this. 
Go think back to 2 Corinthians 8, where Paul says, I want to test the sincerity of your love because you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the issue is not, are you woke and, 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 and fighting for justice for the oppressed? No. The question is, have you been converted? Do you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? That though he, he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Do you understand that there is nothing that would motivate him to come and to live under the law in your place and to die as your sin on the cross? There is nothing that would motivate that but the reality that he is love. That you have done nothing and you can do nothing that will ever merit the love of God. There's a huge, dis, um, a huge difference between fighting for brothers and sisters out of grace and mercy that has been extended to you and fighting for your brothers and sisters because you're trying to earn his grace and mercy. One will wear you out and one will simply liberate you and, and bring you joy in the midst of the toughest, toughest times. What do I mean? Because, friends, when we understand that this is our God, when we understand what he did for us in living and dying and rising and ascending, when we understand that he's going to come back one day to bring, to usher in a new heaven and a new earth, a life of equity and joy and flourishing, a life of utter peace in every possible way, a life of love and acceptance, a life where guilt and shame are maybe even a distant memory, probably not even a memory when we understand the hope of the gospel, dear friends, and we understand that it is all by grace I have been saved, we have been saved. Friends, we can do nothing less than joyfully um, um, carry the burdens of our brothers and sisters. And we can do nothing less than be in the midst of this forgiving our brothers and sisters. Wednesday night, and I'll end with this, I was put... Um, I say I was put because I was on a Zoom call, our Bible study on Wednesday nights. And I was in a, a small group. that We break up into small groups, but we are actually broken up into small groups. You just kind of appear with three or four other people. And one of the sisters, um, uh, African-American sisters, um, told the story. We, we've been discussing and talking about race, racism and justice and so forth. And one of... Um, uh, our sisters told the story of her, that her mother told her as a little, little girl uh, of her mother coming out of school one day and literally seeing, shocking, but a black body hanging from a tree. Um, now, I'm obviously not even over that, and I will never get over just hearing that and, and participating in that, that vision. But here's what captivated me. That sister is on a call on a Wednesday night with her white brothers and sisters sharing her heart and lamenting and trusting us enough with her stories that we might be a family that we might carry the burdens together because it's way too much for her to carry alone. You see, that's what love does. 
That's what Christ did for you. Christ came down. He, he came down and took on your burden. In Isaiah 53, he was crushed for our iniquities. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. He stood in the way. He carried our burdens. And when we understand that the Son of God, the righteous Son of God did that for me, then I want to do that for you. Not to get your love, not to manipulate you, not as some type of social experiment, because it is a gospel imperative, because that's what love does. It love dies. Love is not selfishness. Love is selflessness. So, dear friends, the gospel of Jesus, this one who is lifted up as a signal for the nations that we come to to get rest, who doesn't put us to work and say, you go to work and eh, at the end I'll decide whether or not I'll love you or not. But this one who indeed came down and lived the life that we can never live, died the death we can never die, was resurrected, got in the midst of death itself to explode it so that now, we can know that we have the Father's love and we can live out of that love as we fight for justice for the oppressed, as we share whatever God has given us, and as we do so gladly and joyfully. May God create that kind of church in that kind of community in Memphis, Tennessee, and may it be downtown church, dear friends. Pray with me. Our great God, thank you. Thank you for the glorious hope of the gospel. We beg that you would work in and through us, that you would bring radical change. We are not asking for something small. We are not asking for something insignificant. We are not asking for a little character change. We're asking for deep gospel transformation. May the kingdom of God and the agenda of our king be the source of our, that, that, the very thing that drives us out the door in the morning. The very thing that drives us in our praying. The very thing that drives us in our relationships. Oh God, heal your church for the glory of Jesus. Oh Lord Jesus, you deserve it. So pour down your spirit that we might be different. That we might be transformed. Expose the racism. Expose the apathy. Expose the, the, the ways we've been complicit. Expose the bitterness. Expose the, uh, 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 expose the unforgiving heart. Expose the skepticism. Expose it all. And unite us in passionate love for you and for one another. Laying down our lives for one another. Oh God, may it be so. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Dear friends, may we respond to the grace and the mercy of our Lord Jesus by uh, bringing tithes and offerings this morning. Um, I do want to report that um, I think we have in the neighborhood of $13,000 in our mercy fund. I can't thank you enough. That, that's just a sign that our people, that, that we are um, a community of justice, that we don't want anyone to go um, with their needs not met. Um, and we're going to have a financial report later. We actually are very solid financially, which is, I can't even, uh, I, all I can say is praise God. <laughs> and our, our uh, finance team is going to make a report this week about that. Um, and we'll explain why it's taken so long to get those reports. Uh, but now, if you would respond by uh, giving and tithing, by texting um, downtown church, all lowercase, 
one word, downtown church, to 73256. Uh, you can always set up online giving on The Realm. If you're not a member of our social platform, The Realm, um, email amber at downtownchurch.com. Ask her to get you on The Realm and to help you see how to set up uh, regular giving. Uh, or you can simply mail a check, and um, you can find our address, um, our P.O. Box address on our website, downtownchurch.com. Uh, so let's worship by giving of... Um, our money this morning. <laughs> 